Well, good morning. I was a youth pastor for 15 years, and so when these guys get up here, I think, oh, this is just so good, so good. We don't, uh, we are blessed beyond, um, I, I mean, I don't, I know there's a lot of good youth pastors out there working in a lot of churches, but I don't know that you could get better than the, the leadership that we have with Chris and now with JJ, it's incredible. So uh, we're really, really very blessed in that area. And I'm not just saying that, I, I know a lot about the youth ministry world. We, are, uh, we, we have leaders at the top, and uh, we're just, we're really blessed. Um, yeah, gospel fluency, that's what we're, our, the series that we're on, gospel fluency. We've been talking about what does it mean to, or what does it take to become fluent in the gospel? And the word fluency is sometimes, you know, we think about languages, but, but it's similar to the word fluid. When something is fluid, it flows. And when you're fluent in the language, it, it flows. When you're fluent in the gospel, it flows. Uh, you, it's easier to communicate it, and it's easier to communicate it not just uh, to people who haven't heard it before, but also to fellow believers, and also to communicate it to your own heart. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk more about where it flows to. You know, we're going to talk about more about speaking to people who haven't heard it before. We're also going to talk about speaking to each other. But we're still really zeroed in right now on speaking the gospel to yourself. And um, we really want um, to start there because we believe that's where it flows out of. It flows out of your heart, right? It flows out of, um, flows out of ourselves. Uh, the gospel. Now, just quickly, what is the gospel? It's the good news about what Jesus has done for us. And it includes uh, all of what Jesus says about us in the Bible. So as you read the Bible, you'll, you'll get little snippets of the good news about Jesus, that this is true about me because of Jesus, because of Jesus' work and what he's done for me, what he did through, through um, his perfect life, through his death, through his resurrection, all those things. This is true about me. And so that's all sort of encapsulated in this good news about Jesus that we call the gospel. But this gospel will only flow out of us as good news if it's already good news to us. It must be good news in me first before it becomes fluid and we become fluent. So today I want to talk about uh, part of that good news picture. I'm going to just uh, see talk amongst yourselves for a second. This won't take long. I gotta grab my notes. All right. I really like this thing. It's sort of fun. I realized last week I used too thin of a marker and nobody could read it, and this week probably might be the same. Kurt promised me he would buy me the world's biggest marker. And I'm, I don't have it yet, but I'm so excited for it. I, I expect it to be about this large, and, uh, and it's gonna be lots of fun. So if I can steer this through without damaging anything. Today I want to talk about fruit. Fruit, and not physical fruit, but spiritual fruit. And um, Galatians chapter 5, some of you were here in the summer when we went through our Jesus Plus Nothing series where we, t we went through uh, the book of Galatians, but we didn't really get to this part, and I knew that we'd be sharing it in the fall so I could save it. But Galatians chapter 5, 19 to 25 has some interesting comments about spiritual fruit. And I'll just, it's sort of describing 
the kind of fruit we might experience in our lives, but there's two kinds of, of fruit. One that's, is called fruit, one's called acts, but, but basically they're outcomes. These are outcomes that we can experience in our lives, but they come from two very different root causes. Two, these, these fruit come from two very different roots. So Galatians 5, 19 to 25, says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, other translations say patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So, let me talk first about the first list, the one that starts with sexual immorality and ends with drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I think that and the like tells us something. It's not just that this is the only items. What does, what does like, now, I have to maybe explain it. Uh, flesh is, um, flesh is basically living for yourself. I'm, I'm making it as simple as I possibly can. If you're, you know, if you're a seminarian, you know it can be much more, more, more than that. But it's living basically completely for yourself, making yourself the center of the universe and living very selfishly. And so lots of terrible outcomes come out of living like this. Lots of terrible outcomes living like this. But for those who belong to Jesus, there's a totally different set of outcomes. The totally different set of outcomes, including love, joy, peace, etc. But they both come from different roots. And that's the thing I really want to emphasize today is that it, the root is what produces the fruit. And today I want to I see if we can um, try something we've never tried before to use a bit of a tool to take our... Take Fruit that we experience in our lives, so outcomes, right? When you hear fruit, think outcomes, okay? When you, the things that we do or the things that we experience, and then diagnose, go backwards. What's the root that that's coming from? And if we can take it back to the root and realize, that, and realize what is the faulty root that it's coming from, maybe we can address the root cause with God's truth and build upwards to better fruit, okay? So this might, I hope you can follow me. I, I wanted to make it visual so it would help some. Uh, I hope that helps a few, but um, I hope you can follow where I'm going with this today. So I'm gonna tell you two stories today, okay? Two stories. And I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna work my way through from fruit to root, and then root to fruit, okay? So, how can I do this the best way? Oh, probably like this, okay. All right. So, the first one I'm going to start with is an anxious mother. So, I hope she, you can't probably see her, but she's anxious. Just trust me if you can't see her. She's anxious. I realize over here I'm blocking your way. Um, 
she's frazzled. And when you get in, if you're in a life group and you're studying and you get to week four this week, I know for some life groups it takes them like 14 weeks to do a six-week series. But uh, if you get to week four, you'll actually hear this example again. But I wanted to give it to you twice because I know some of these things are hard for, for it to stick. And I want it to stick, okay? So, so we're going to start with an anxious mother. And, and it's a real-life scenario, and it's told by uh, a guy named Jeff Vanderstelt who wrote the book Gospel Fluency. But he tells the story about walking his wife through this kind of process. And she's basically telling him, I'm anxious, I'm worried, uh, I've got, you know, fear in my life. So here's where we begin. What are we doing or experiencing? That's the outcome, that's the fruit. What are we doing or experiencing? Well, in her case, well, she's got anxiety. I'm just going to write anxiety, but you, all, you know what comes with that, worry and fear, right? So she's got anxiety. That's the fruit, the outcome that's growing in her life, that's, that she's experiencing. So Jeff asked her the question, so he said, okay, that's what you're experiencing. Why are you experiencing that? Well, she, she was worried about the kids. What mom doesn't worry about her kids? I'm worried about the kids. I'm worried about their future. I'm worried about the decisions we made for them. Did we put them in the right school? And what about this thing? And, and, and will this turn out bad? And all sorts of things, right? Buzzing, buzzing, buzzing in her mind. And it's causing her worry and anxiety. And he says, okay, 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 let's, 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 let's go a little deeper in that. And so he asks this question, in light of what you're doing and experiencing, in light of this anxiety, worry, and fear, what do you believe about yourself? He says, well, I'm the mom, these are my kids, and, and I should be in control. I'm in control. And that's what's causing me all this worry. And he says, are you in control? No, I'm not in control. This is actually how real conversations actually happen in, in marriages, in case you've never been married. <laughs> it's like, they go all over the map. It's like, I'm in control. No, no, no I, I'm not in control. So she, she, she goes, you know what? I should be in control. I should be in control, but I'm not in control. This is what she says. So that's what I believe about myself. I should be in control, but I'm not, and I can't control all these outcomes, and I'm worried for my kids, and I'm, I'm freaking out. And so then he says, well, let's go a little deeper. He says, what do, you, what do you believe, in light of what you've experienced, in light of what you believe about yourself, that you should be in control, but you're not, what do you believe God is doing or has done? So we're getting closer to the root. What do you believe God is doing or has done? In this area, well, she's, she began to unpack it in long conversation. I'm giving you the Coles notes, uh, the very short version. And, and she says, well, I, I feel like God has abandoned me. I, I feel like maybe even God has stopped loving me. And I feel that God is distant from my problems and from my, from my worries. And so he asked one more question. Well, so what do you believe God is like? Now, realize this is a conversation with someone who's very frank. Not everybody's this frank. Most people, when they get to a disturbing truth, they stop talking. Because they would hardly dare, especially, a, this is a Christian woman, right? Who hardly dare to want to say what we really believe. 
But you know, if we don't say what we really believe, how are we going to counteract it with the truth that's going to help us? How are we going to get to the other side? Unless we say what we really believe. I shared an illustration uh, at the very beginning of this series about the woman who walked into the church office years ago when I was in a different church and said, uh, you know, all these worries in her life about her kids, very similar. Can we pray for you? No, I, I, I believe things go better if you don't pray, she said. And at first, I thought that was the worst thing in the world. And then years go by, and I go, that was really clear. Sometimes you need to get to that point where you say, I think God has abandoned me, stopped loving me, distant. You need to actually acknowledge that these things are true. Now, here's, here's the thing. Can something be true and not true at the same time? This is sort of what we're dealing with. The fact that we... we believe, yet we have unbelief, right? There's actually a story about Jesus where a guy comes to, uh, to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. How can you believe and have unbelief at the same time? The reality is for all of us is that there are so many things that impact our faith. And we've talked about it over the last number of weeks. We talked, um, oh man, see if I can recount this without, doing, without looking at notes. Um, First week, we just talked about that fact that everybody at some point is, 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 is coming in and out of belief in certain areas, right? Some days, you're just full of faith, aren't you? Other days, not so much. Why is that? Kurt had a really good message on the second week. He talked about the dominant story. What's the dominant story in your, in your life? Is it the story about Jesus or is it some other dominant story? Because there's so many messages in the culture that are trying to dominate that story, there's actually a spiritual battle going on in our minds. And these things are setting themselves up against the knowledge of God. That's what the scriptures tell us. And so you might get a different story when you talk to your, your friends on Coffee Row. You might get a, that there's a dominant story. You know, what's, what's wrong with the world? Well, it's the politicians. And what's the solution? We need a political solution. Not that that's bad. But is it the dominant story? If it is, you're going to experience different fruit in your life, different outcomes than if your trust and faith is in God. If you think what's wrong with the world is sin in every person, separation from God, and that what we need is not necessarily, the first thing we need is not better politicians, but the first thing we need is a savior. Hey, I got an amen. I've never got one before, so I'm just excited. <laughs> Other pastors get them all the time, but me. <laughs> I'm working at it. So it, it, matters what, it matters what you believe, but you have to dig down to sometimes find it. And what you believe might not be what... So, so finally, Jeff asks the, the question, so what do you believe about God? He says, I believe... Chief said, I, I believe that God is unloving. And he's distant. Oh, and impotent. That means lacking power. Now, only someone who's super frank and super honest is going to say this. Now, this is the pastor talking to his wife. He's a pastor. He's talking to his wife. Now, at some level, she knows the truth of God's word. We all do. 
at some level, if you've been in the church for a while, you're learning them more and more, hopefully. You're growing in these things. But guess what? These things fade in and out because we're always being bombarded with something else to be the dominant story, something else. Lies from the enemy, accusations, temptations, things that cause our belief in God to to skew in a different way. So then, where do you go? Well, you take the path of repentance. Now, repentance, what is repentance? When I was a kid, I'd hear about people uh, confessing their sins and repenting. That meant that they were going to not only just say that what I did was wrong and agree with God about that, like, yeah, God, lying is wrong. I'm sorry, I lied to my mother again. So I learned this when I was young. Um, And repent, that you'd stop doing that. You'd do a 180-degree turn and you'd stop, you know, whatever. Did I just do a 360? Whatever. Anyhow. 180 would be this, yeah, okay, I got confused. See, my spiritual life has been very difficult because of that. Anyhow, you do a 180, you turn from this way to that way, and you stop doing it. And you know what? In the church, there's been a very simplistic approach to this. And it's this. You're sinning? Stop it. Maybe you've seen a video like this. Stop it. Just stop it. And so many people are saying, I tried to stop it. It's not working. I had an accountability partner. He volunteered. Came to me, this is not in this church, it was in my previous church. He came to me one day and he said, I read this article about how pastors are really, you know, sometimes they have no one to talk to and they don't have any good close relationships. And so uh, I thought I would volunteer to be your accountability partner and you can tell me what's going on in your life and I'll pray for you and help you. And I said, that's awesome. I said, you what a generous thing. And I thought, you know, I was in my young 20s. He was in his young 20s. And I thought, this is going to be great. So anyhow, when I was struggling with something, I went to talk to him. And I said, okay, this is what I'm struggling with. And, and I probably couldn't share this with anybody else. But I'm thankful that you're willing to be my accountability partner. So I'm struggling in such and such an area. And this is the thing I'm struggling with. And he was like, Steve, shame on you. You're a pastor. I was like, mental note, make sure your next accountability partner understands the grace of God. Just mental note. (laughs) That was our last accountability session. (laughs) Shame is what keeps us in these cycles. Shame is what keeps us in these cycles. So repentance isn't just like stop it. It's not just change your behavior. People love uh, religion. Well, some people hate it, but people often love a performance-based religion. People love that. Right? Like, give me these steps. I'll do them. I'll be the best at those steps. I'll be the best, whatever that religion is, that there ever was. That identity lasts as long until you fail. And when you fail, you fail hard. You fail so hard. I've tried to do that with Christianity. Boy, it just doesn't work. When I've said, my identity is I'm going to be God's best servant. That lasts until I fail. And then shame hits me like a a brick wall. and, And it collapses on top of me. Because now I'm God's worst servant. 
So you can't make your identity, you can't make your identity out of your performance. Repentance is a change of belief. Repentance isn't a change of action first. It's first a change of belief. If you want to behave better, you need to first believe better. That's what repentance is. It's change your mind. When I first heard change your mind, that's what repentance actually is. I thought, that's not it, because you've got to change your behavior. But the change of the mind leads to the change of the behavior. Remember, I've been telling this to you, that you operate out of your identity all, your time, all the time. And your most powerful patterns of action come out of your identity, how you see yourself, right? I... I come from a family where we all sort of grew up playing soccer in the yard, and we all believe we're athletes. Some of us do not look at all like athletes anymore. But we still go out on the field, injure ourselves, fall down, totally let down the team. Doesn't matter. The internal belief will not die. (laughs) I'll get out on the field with 20-year-old guys. I think I can outrun them. I can't but I'm an athlete. Same when you've got a very negative identity. Lies about yourself, things that you've taken to yourself. Those things will totally inform how you behave. So you need to have a change of belief if you're going to behave better. So believe better in order to behave better. So in this case, she felt like God was unloving, distant, and impotent. And so they said, well, what do we know is true about God? And now how do you get to that? Well, you got to read scripture. you got to be in a community with, or a relationship with other Christians who can speak those things over you. It's amazing. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with Jesus. Sometimes the most powerful words you'll receive in your life is from another Christian who says something to you you already know. I've had people pray for me and apologize. They're like, okay, I'm just, they're like, they'll be maybe listening first before they pray for me to see if maybe God would give them something to say to me, like some sort of encouraging word. And then they'll say something like, oh, Steve, all I got is this simple thing. And then they'll share it. And I'll be like, wow. And they'll say, I bet you already knew that. I'm like, I did know that. But somehow it faded Somehow some other dominant story was crushing it down. Some, uh, some lie came in that I've been running with somehow. And I needed that. I needed exactly what you said. I can't tell you how many times in my life people have told me, Steve, you're a child of God. You know what? I need that every week. I need it probably every day. I say, don't you got that locked in, Steve? Well, it's growing in me. It's stronger in me. But there's all sorts of other voices that try to tell me my identity is found somewhere else. And I get sucked in by them. I don't know if you do, but I do. So that's why I need the community of believers who will speak into my life and help me change my belief when I'm believing something that's, that is not true. So let's look at the, the solution side for our anxious mother. Our anxious mother. So... Who is God? Is, is the, so you believe God is like this, but who is God? What's the reality? Let's, let's talk about the truth. Who is God? Well, God is, is loving. How do you know that's true? His son. God sent his son. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. Yeah, that's why I got the cross right here. Make it a little bolder for you. Wow, the cross shows us that he is loving. 
Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we're not just going to like, oh yeah, God's loving. It's not just something out there. It's very concrete. There's an action attached to that. That all of the followers of Jesus, early followers of Jesus, kept pointing back to. God loves people. The cross spells it out plainly. This is a solid fact. So God is loving. What else? God is, the second one she said was God is powerful. Anything that from, the, from, from the, Jesus, his time on earth that would point to the fact he's powerful? That God is powerful? Miracles? What's the ultimate one though? The big, what? The resurrection. Yeah, so miracles obviously, but the resurrection. So I put a little circle here, you can't see it, but it's the empty tomb. There's a solid action that says that God is powerful. Death could not hold Jesus. And if he will rise from the dead, then so will we. And that same power that raised Christ from the dead is in us today. Whoa. God is powerful. And then, who is God? He is, he is with He's with me. This is for the anxious mom. He is with me. And anything that we can, from the the story of Jesus, or maybe a little bit after, I'm giving you a hint, that points to the fact that God is with us. And the sending of the Holy Spirit. You either have good eyesight and can see my little bird here, or you get an A+. (laughs) The Holy Spirit. God has sent his spirit to reside in us. It's a good thing that Jesus went away. Jesus said it would be a good thing. And it was a good thing. Say, Jesus leaving was a good thing? Yes, because he sent the Holy Spirit to reside in us. So God is loving, powerful. He's with me. And that's all, all these things are informed by the fact of what he's done. What has God done? So who is God? He's, if you just said he's loving, powerful, and with me, and you said, well, prove it. Well, then you could say, well, because of the cross, because of the empty tomb, because of the coming of the Holy Spirit. These are just three that you could use. There's many more. So who is God? He's loving, powerful, he's with me. What has he done? He he went to the cross. He took my sin and shame. That shows how much he loved me. He rose from the dead. That shows how powerful he is. And he sent me the Holy Spirit to be with me always. So out of that, in light of the fact of who God really is, not this belief, but this truth, and what God has done, who am I? This informs this. Let me read you 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. This is a change of mind, a change of belief. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So I'm reading this passage to you because I think it actually illustrates this process. It illustrates this process of, of rooting ourselves in the truth of God to experience new fruit in our lives. So let's see if we can, we can well, I'll jump back in here with the anxious woman again, but we'll jump back to the scripture here. So who am I? Who am I in, 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 in light of what God has done? Okay? Who am I? Um, let me just... So she said, well, if God is loving, then I'm loved. If God is powerful, then I'm more than a conqueror. These are all scriptures. And if God is with me, I am not alone. So who God is and what he's done informs who we are. And then the husband asks his wife, what are you, what are you experiencing right now? In light of this, in light of this, in light of this, since we're soaking ourselves in the truth of who God is, what are you experiencing right now? And she said, I'm experiencing love, joy, and peace. Going from the fruit to the root, getting a new root, going to new fruit. Let me read you, or let me just reflect on uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So to use this model, we're not going to look at Christ from a worldly point of view, right? We're going to look at everything's new, so we're going to look at him in a new way. So who is God? Who is God? What do we know about God? What do we know? God reconciled himself through, reconciled us to himself through Christ. Okay? So we know that God is a reconciling God. He's not um, counting people's sins against them. He's a forgiving God. And he made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That means Jesus took on our sin. He became our sin. That's one way of saying it. So that we might become the righteousness of God. That we could have this. He took on the cross all of our sins, every, everything selfish we'd ever done, no matter how horrendous, he took the shame and the blame on himself for that so that when we stand in the presence of God, we don't cower in, under that same shame, guilt, and blame, but we are the righteousness of God. We're clothed in God's, Jesus' righteousness. He, he loves us like he loves Jesus. He sees us just as if we never sinned. He sees us just as if we've always obeyed, just like Jesus did. So those are things God has done. And what's next? Who am I? Oh, I love this line. It says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. That's who we are. This has been a good one for me. This has been a really good identity one for me lately. The one I've held on to the most in my life is I'm a child of God. That's been, that's been like a shield to protect me whenever I feel um, uh, shame for my lack of performance. Because I struggle with that a lot. I don't know if anyone else does, but I do. Not a good enough father. Not a good enough husband. Not a good enough son. Not a good enough brother. Not a good enough pastor. 
And when the enemy comes in like gangbusters to say, how could God ever love you? Look at your list of failures. I cling to, I'm a child of God. He made me a child of God. This is something God's work. He has accepted me into my family. And I'm, my failure makes me no less accepted as his son. That's an unshakable identity. So that was my, my rock-solid defensive shield. But you know, the, the one that helps me to get into the game is this one, that he's made me his ambassador. He's made you his ambassador. If you're a child of God, if, you come, if you, you're a part of his family, you put your trust in Jesus, in his work for you, then you're an ambassador. You're an ambassador. Like if you walk into a room and you've been deputized to represent some big organization, you walk in a little more confident, right? Because people might say, well, who are you? Well, I'm here on behalf of, I don't know, think of an organization that would make you feel confident, right? I'm here on behalf of um, Google. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the biggest company. Or I'm here on behalf of the school board. I'm here on behalf of Five Hills Health Region. I'm here on behalf of the government. My, I have two uncles. One was a doctor and one was a government translator. They use this all the time. They're a bit of jokesters, but they would use it in situations. They'd say, I want to talk to the manager about certain things. And they'd say, well, who are you? I work for the government. They just leave it. And people say, oh, okay. Because they'd think, oh, it's that government inspector who's come. They wouldn't say, well, I'm just a doctor. Or I'm, not, I'm a translator. They wouldn't say, I work for the government. And they'd use their representation, their ambassadorship, to gain access into places they had no business going. Christian men, godly men, some of them live, they both live very close to here. Great guys. But they use that representative authority to walk into situations. What if you saw in every situation you walked in and you say, I'm an ambassador. I'm a representative of God. We are therefore, because of what Jesus has done, we are therefore. Who am I? We're ambassadors. Let me tell you one more story. Oh, and then what do we do? What's the experience right now? What do we do because we're ambassadors? It says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God is making his appeal through you and me. And so we implore people, be reconciled to God. Please, be reconciled to God. If you're here this morning and you haven't, you've never uh, taken God up on his offer of forgiveness, on his invitation for you to be a part of his family, on his call in your life to come and follow him and walk in his footsteps, then it's my job as an ambassador of Jesus to say, I implore you, be reconciled with God. Experience what you were created for. Come and be a part of what you were made for. And you can do that today. I mean, you can do that any day. God's offer of salvation is open to you. God's offer of forgiveness is open to you. He's, he's willing to lead you. You can do that any single day. In fact, you could do it right now. Let's stop. Let's pray. If you're, if you're there and you just don't know how to express it to God, it's not the expression, it's the faith. It's the, I, it's the, it's the latching on to God in trust. That's what it is. It's saying it's trusting what Jesus has done for you to make you right with God. So let me, I'm going to pray, but it's, it's not the prayer that makes it real. It's what God is working out in your heart by his spirit. So Lord, 
I just pray this on behalf of someone else in the room. Lord, right now I come to you. So if this is true about you, you can just echo this in your own heart in sincerity towards God. Lord, I come to you, not perfect, lots of failures, but you say you'll forgive and you say you'll lead me. And so I want your forgiveness. I need your forgiveness. I need your love as was demonstrated on the cross, the fact that you sacrificed yourself for me. I need your love and I need your leadership in my life. I want to follow you. I believe in you. I'm trusting in you. Would you lead me from this day forward? Amen. If you made that, if, you, if you're just right there, if you're right there in the midst of that right now, you definitely need to tell somebody. Tell somebody, tell me, tell someone who you know. I'm going to end with one last illustration this morning. So I've got a little video game pad up here. So I'm going to tell you a personal story about this. In 2002, uh, several things happened in 2002. Lots of things. Um, I moved to Moose Jaw, came to Hillcrest in October 2002. So it's October now, what? So 16 years ago. This month, 16 years ago this month. And, um, but earlier than that, a much more, you know, a bigger event happened. In May, my firstborn son was born. He's 16 now. And um, the reason I'm going to tell this story is I had this sort of take-you-way-back moment happen recently. That 16-year-old son came to me and he said, um, Dad, I want to get a certain video game on Steam. And Steam is like a streaming video game service. And I said, oh, why? Because it's on sale. It's just like, you know, funny. Like, sales are everywhere. Oh, there's a sale on a certain video game, and I want to get this on Steam. And I said, oh, okay, well, what game is it? And he told me the game, and I froze. And I wasn't, like, frozen in fear, but I just froze sort of in nostalgic reminiscent. Because the game he wanted to download was the same game I was playing in the spring of 2002 before he was born. Now, he was going to play it on streaming Steam, and I was playing it on dial-up. <laughs> Anyone remember dial-up and the beautiful sound that comes with the connection? <laughs> oh, it's so wonderful. Some of you missed out on that part of life. It was, no one gets to make any phone calls. It's just awesome. Um, so he wanted to play the same game I was playing before he was born. Now, I was, I was playing online with dial-up with friends and family, and, and I would play this game late into the night. I'm not telling you the game. Why? Because it's not a bad game. It's not like a terrible game. I'm not telling you the game because people go out and then they want to play the game and then you'll lose your life like I lost mine, right? <laughs> so it's the same reason I, do, I try to edit fast food comments out of my sermons because you're hungry and you're impressionable. And <laughs> I don't want to be responsible for your arteries and so I, I edit those things out. But anyhow, so this was a fine, it was a fine game but it was a very addictive game for me. So other people could play this game and then turn it off and walk away. I just played night after night. And you know what? I would, my wife would say, well, how long are you going to play? Oh, just an hour. And then I would see the sun come up. I realized, oh, that was not an hour. And this happened repeatedly. And then when my son was born, I looked into his little eyes, and I thought, i got to grow up. I was 30. i got to grow up. 
And one of the things I said to myself at that point is, no more video games. And I found out that was easier said than it was done. Much easier said than done. I know lots of guys who are just like, yeah, I, started, I stopped playing video games. And they just stopped. My path was not like that at all. I would have all sorts of relapses. You know, you put me around any type of, especially a strategy game, I would, I would go deep and long, and I'd see the sun come up. And I'd say, oh, not again. I can't believe this. Now, for some of you, you have other areas, video games, you can't imagine being addicted to that, but you have other areas where you've had, tried to kick it, and then you experienced relapses. And I experienced this relapse for many years of my life after that. So when I came to Hillcrest in 2002, I had already made this pledge, I'm going to be done with video games. I'm going to behave better. But I kept struggling and struggling and struggling in this area. And now this, now before I was just, you know, playing them, but now because I made a, a conscientious decision I was going to behave better, then when I had a relapse, when I, you know, find some game online or something like that and I'd start playing it, I would encounter something new. Well, no, it wasn't new, but it was more powerful now. And that was shame. So I can't believe I did that again. I can't believe I just burned through a night. I can't believe I didn't get any sleep. I can't believe I told my wife I wasn't going to do this more than an hour, and I did. I can't believe I went online looking for a game. I can't believe this. So I experienced shame. What, what was I doing or experiencing? I experienced shame. What did I believe about myself? Well, let me tell you two things. If you're in youth ministry, we just had our youth pastors up here. You just bless them and love on them. You know that 50% of the things you do as a youth pastor don't work? At least. You plan event after event after event after event every week. And 50% of those things don't work. You plan a perfect event for 20 kids and only 10 show up. So you plan a perfect event for 10 kids and 40 show up. Failure after failure after failure after failure. And in your head are dreams of how these things are going to be so amazing. Oh, this talk is going to really change a kid's life. And you pour your prayers and your heart into this. And then week after week, you hit another failure. And you know what would... I started to notice a pattern in me. The trigger in my life was when I do something in youth ministry that didn't work, then I was drawn even more powerfully to bury myself in video games because I was trying to win somewhere. I was trying to forget. What did I believe about myself? I believed that I was, um, I'm going to just put it simply, a bad servant of God. I didn't believe that all the time, but I believed that, believed that often when I failed. So what did I believe that God was doing or, or God had done? Well, I, I believe that uh, God was uh, wagging his finger. I'm going to put it simply. I didn't actually picture that, but I think it sums up the attitude or the, the perspective that a lot of people have about God. And it's not that I didn't know this wasn't true. And it's not that I didn't teach that this wasn't true. But this sense of shame in my life 
This, there, was, there was a story that was dominating the true story of the gospel, and so I would often find myself here. And so what do I believe God is like? Well, there's a story that Jesus tells. Jesus tells a story about the, the um, servant who's in, afraid to invest for the master, and he buries his talents in the ground. And uh, he says, when the master comes home, why didn't you even put my money in the bank? He says, I knew you were a hard master, he says. Different commentators have different thoughts on that, but I think it's not true to say to God that he's a hard master. But it's something that a lot of us believe, and sometimes we go in and out of believing. That God is most of the time disappointed with our performance. So how do you repent from that? How do you change your belief so that eventually your behavior can change? How do you do that? Well, for me, there, was, there were several things that uh, helped me and continue to help me. Continue to help me. You know that? Yeah. First was, along the way, here's some things that help me. It's just truth about who God is. He's a good father. That's been a really helpful one for me. He's a good father. For years, that was just, I had to just say that to God in prayer. I had to really, like, saturate myself in this truth. God, you are a good father. You're a good father. You're a good father. You're a good father. Earthly fathers don't always do it right, and sometimes, you know, what, what would an earthly father say to this guy? Shame on you. Shame on you. You stayed up all night. You're a father, and you stayed up all night playing video games while you have a child. You're a youth pastor. You should be doing better. At least sometimes my head believed that. So I had to say to myself, he is a good father. He knows the way that I'm made. He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. I had to say that to myself. I had to say, he is a good father. And that was huge for me. The good father, many of you heard my story about, about just asking God if he would father me. And that was huge for me. Here's a new one that's probably in the most recent years that's been helping me. He's a good leader. I pray this a lot. In the staff room, I pray this a lot. Staff, you know this. I say, God, you, Jesus, you're a good leader. You're the head of the church. Boy, that really helped me to really figure out he's the head of the church. Because I'm not. But I sometimes get confused. So don't you want the truth? I want the truth. He's a good father. He's a good leader. You know what helped me? Even just recently, I was reading John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Remain in my love. Beautiful passage of scripture. Just talking about remaining in God's love. And he says, I'm, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Wow. Was that, that was like a a missile that was heat-seeking towards this lie that I was a bad servant. It's amazing to think, oh, I'm not just a servant to God. I'm not just his best servant or his worst servant or whatever I feel at the time. I'm actually God's friend. Jesus said that to He said, I'm, I call you friends. So he's a good father. He's a good leader. He's my friend. I, I, can't, I haven't fully delved into all the depths of this, but I think this is continually going to be powerful in my life going forward. So what has God done? He's a, he, what has God done? How do I know he's a good father? Well, he's adopted me into his family. As a father who's adopted someone into his own family, 
That is super powerful. He's a good leader. He's a good leader. Uh, you see how he's leading the church. Oh, at Hillcrest, he's, giving, he's resourcing us. He's giving us right people. He's giving us right programs. He's giving us stuff that we needed, didn't have. We prayed, he provided. He is a great leader. So I just, I, I just look to that personal example. But look at scripture where he says, the cross is the ultimate provision, right? If he gave us his son, well, then he's not going to withhold all the rest of the things we need. That's a paraphrase of one verse. <laughs> Adopted provision, and then he's my friend. I think of Romans 3.23. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and I just want to come in, sup with you. That's King James. Dinner. I want to eat with you. I want to spend time with you. He's my friend. So who am I? I'm, a, I'm his child. Provision I'm provided for. I'm his friend. He's my friend. I'm his friend. That relationship one goes both ways. And what do I re- experience right now? Grace. To counteract the shame. Do you find yourself up here? I just did two examples. There's probably as many as there's people here. There's probably many other examples that you could use where it's like you're experiencing fruit and you say, this is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Somehow some other, some other, not truths, but some other things are the story that's dominating. There's some other lies. There's some other uh, dominant story that's coming in, and, and I need to have the truth of God's scripture. Well, how are you going to get that? Well, you can get it through reading the Bible, but you also get that in relationship with other believers. And the simple truth you have, let's say you pray for somebody else, and you say, oh, all I got was this simple truth. You might have the the heat-seeking missile to destroy the lie of the enemy in their lives. I would encourage you, if you feel like you get something for another person, and you say, ah, it's so simple. Everybody knows this. But they may not be walking in it that day. And if you tell them something they already know, it might be more powerful than you can, imagine, you can possibly imagine. After all, you're an ambassador of this reconciliation. That's who you are. And God's calling us to, to, to walk together as a church in this way. Can we stand? We're going to end in prayer today.